0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. How are you guys doing this morning? You're awake, I know. Some of you got coffee now, thanks to Alyssa. Um, thanks. So I want to say thank you to Alyssa. She's awesome. Let's give her a round of applause. I just feel like she's like so encouraging, so enthusiastic. And I also wanted to point out that um, our drummer today—I don't know if you noticed—was Nick. Guys, Nick is—he's 11. He's 11. So I just want you to know, you are never too young to do something awesome to serve the the world, serve the church. And so thank you to Nick. Thank you to our worship team. Um, And man, I just feel like I'm excited. I don't know, how many of you were here last week for our baptism service? Were a lot of you here for that? That was awesome, too, I know. I feel like we could just clap for everything. Um, I was very excited, and I think for me, hearing people's stories especially, it reminded me why we're here, why we do anything that we do at this church. And so hearing from people like Tiffany and Kenny sharing stories of of God meeting them in really difficult places and the hope and the freedom and the encouragement that he gave them, listening to people like Melanie share verses about what what it means to follow Christ, to have new life, new wineskins, to see the next generation, Roby and Luke, stand up here and affirm their faith was just, was a beautiful thing, right? And I think it makes us kind of want to go and reproduce that, to um, not in like some, um, you know, manufacturing, commercial assembly line kind of way, but in this beautiful, organic way. It makes us want to go out and tell more people to allow other people to experience that same hope and that same love that overcomes the darkness, that overcomes the, the, uh, the pain and brokenness in our lives. And so Jesus would talk about that as the harvest. He would say there's people all around us in this world that are desperate for that same hope that people like Tiffany and Roby found. And that's the harvest that God wants us to go out and be part of, um, finding people and sharing that love through our words and our deeds with others. To help people know the Christ who gives freedom and makes things new and offers hope. And so Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, So who are these workers that are supposed to go out and and be part of collecting this harvest? Well, God would say that it's all the people who believe in God, who have said yes to him, who have stood up here and said, I'm following Jesus, no turning back. We become bearers of the good news and telling people about the kingdom of God that is very different from the kingdom of this world that we live in, right? And so... We might find, however, that we, even though we want to go and share this, this good news with others, sometimes we get a little stuck, don't we? And yes, I think sometimes it's because we feel like we don't know the right words to say, and sometimes I think, especially in our, in our culture, we might find that we're trying to, you know, be gentle, we don't want to bulldoze people, and so maybe we aren't always sure how to, how to present this love that we have in Christ to others. But if we're honest, I think that there might be another thing that sometimes trips us up, There's other things, more subtle things, things of our hearts that can kind of keep us from being people who go out and multiply the kingdom. And Jesus tells us a little bit about that, some of these obstacles or barriers to following him in such a way that he can multiply a harvest through us. So we're going to look today at a parable that he shares in Mark 4, and we're going to start in verse 3 through 8. And some of you maybe have heard this parable before, and a parable was just a story that Jesus would use to explain a spiritual truth to people. So he starts in verse 3. Jesus says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. But still others fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Now, if you hear that parable and you're not entirely sure what it means, you are in good company. Often, Jesus' own disciples um, would have to like, pull him aside afterwards and be like, okay, tell us what that meant, because we have no clue. And so Jesus would explain, and he does so here for us so we can understand, what is he talking about? <clears throat> So he says in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people, we're all all people that are represented by these seeds along, that are being sown. So some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown in rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But other seed, other seed, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So we have all these seeds here, right? And maybe you're already, like, thinking through, like, what seed might I be? I don't know. Um, And so we have Jesus, or God, the farmer that's sowing the seed, and maybe he uses some of us to help actually plant the seed for others. Um, And we find that some seed is like the seed sown directly on the path. And we find that these are people that hear the word of God, and our enemy, Satan, comes and just takes that word right away, snatches it so that it doesn't bear fruit. And while I'm not entirely sure what this always looks like in a a real-life scenario, I think it's this reminder for us that we have an enemy, and the enemy operates in his kingdom, and he is in opposition to God's kingdom. And so this is a sober reminder for us um, that the enemy is looking, he's prowling, looking for someone to devour. And so it's our our opportunity to pray against him um, defeating God's kingdom, and and we can pray for people to hear God's word and, and allow that word to soak in for them. So that's one kind of seed on the path. And then we have the seed that falls on the rocky soil. And, excuse me, this soil um, is, because it's so rocky, there's just no room for roots to grow. And so this this is the person that, like, hears about God and accepts God, and maybe they're even really excited at first. But then what happens? Trouble comes or persecution comes, and they have no roots, so they just wither and they fall. And I know uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe you were here to hear um, Mike Ferris, the potter, It was incredible. And one of the things, if you were here, that he talked about as he was going through his demonstration is he he was using clay and he was pushing on it. And and he said one of the things that just like a potter uses pressure to orient the clay in the direction he wants it to go, God uses pressure often in our lives to orient our lives towards him. And I think what happens, this is a reminder that um, when we say yes to God, we're still going to experience difficult things in our lives and when those difficult things come, we can allow that pressure to, to crumble us and to make us fall apart. Or we can, or we can view it as a, a, a thing that God is doing to refine us and to grow us. Even if God did not cause it, we can look at it as a, as a way that he might be maturing us and, and cr- causing us to bear more fruit. But unfortunately, we don't always feel that way. And so sometimes, for some people, we feel like we have to fall away. We say, I'm out. This isn't what I signed up for. <clears throat> There's a third seed today, and this is the one I want to focus on today, the seed among the thorns. And I want to also be very clear, about just to pause for a second, I think when I first read this uh, passage a long time ago, I kind of thought that maybe we self-select into one seed, and that's what we are our whole lives, and I don't believe that's true, because I think God is a God of redemption, and so even if you're that seed that falls on, thank you, um, even if you're the seed that first falls on that path and, and Satan snatches up the word, that's not the end of your story. I don't think that's the end of your story. And so God, God can move you. God can put you in different soil in different seasons of your life. And if you're that seed that, that heard the word and then, and then persecution came and you fell away, man, we heard people share last week about, about a little bit of that, right? Times in our lives where maybe we feel like we do fall away from God, but that's not the end of your story either. God can restore you. God can still multiply through you if you turn to him. And today we're going to be talking about a seed that I think probably every one of us at some point in our lives have been the seed. The seed that is choked by the things that are around us in this world. <clears throat> and it's awful, and we should cry. <laughs> Thank you. See, so, see, I just need a little interaction here. That's, that's the best amen I've gotten all day. <laughs> so what are, what are the things, what are these thorns that come up and choke us? It could be... Wealth, <clears throat> worries, or wants. Worries, wealth, and wants. And so, uh, specifically, worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and that's a, that's a key word, we're gonna, we're gonna touch on that multiple times, and the desire for pleasures or other things now i want i want to be honest N- none of these things are inherently bad okay like how many of you of you just decides to worry usually it's usually it's not a decision at first right it's kind of just this this default reaction we can't always control that right and wealth having wealth is actually not a bad thing god doesn't condemn wealth itself it's the love of money the deceitfulness of wealth that can trip us up <clears throat> And the desire for other things, I think this is another thing in the church where we sometimes get it wrong. I think for a while as a Christian, I thought, if I want anything, that want that I have must be bad, it must be selfish, it can't be from God. I don't think that's true either. We're gonna, we're gonna see a verse later that talks about how God gives us good things and he wants us to enjoy them, right? So it's not the desire itself, but all of these things can sort of become idols. They can become things <clears throat> that grow around us in our lives to such an extent that they begin to choke out the, the good heart that God has for us. They can become things that we begin to orient our lives around. Um, indulge me for a second here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do another Friends reference. But um, there's, a, there's an episode in the Friends TV series where Ross is, is a paleontologist and he goes to this con- convention. He gets invited to speak and he invites all his friends to go to Barbados with him, right? Right? And his friend Joey goes with him, and Joey's this big shot actor, and Joey's used to people kind of recognizing him, like, yeah, people know me, I'm a a famous guy. But he finds that with Ross's friends, who are all in the academic crowd, like, nobody knows who he is. And so he introduces himself to someone, he's like, yeah, I'm that famous actor on this soap opera. And this girl's like, I don't own a TV, actually, so I I don't know you. And he says to her, he's like, you don't own a TV? well, what is all the furniture in your room pointed towards? <laughs> like, and it's true, right? Because most of us in our living room, you can tell all of our couches, everything is kind of oriented around the TV, right? Somewhat. We all have maybe one room in our house that that's true for. Um, and it got me thinking, as crazy, silly as an analogy it is, as it is, I thought, what about our hearts? If there was furniture set up in our hearts, what would all the furniture in our hearts be pointing towards? And that, was a painful question for me to have to ask myself this week. What's that thing that, that really, if we're honest, all of our, our life, all of our heart is oriented around? Because our lives follow what our heart is full of. Our lives reflect what our heart is full of and what our heart is oriented around. And if we don't recognize it, wealth and worries and wants, when they are taken in the wrong way, when they become idols, when they become the thing that, that our hearts are oriented around, They crowd out our ability to see God and to see his kingdom and to pursue that harvest that he wants for us to multiply. The thing is, though, and this this comes back to that deceitfulness word, right? When we orient our lives around something, when our hearts are oriented around something, there's a reason for it. We believe that whatever we're orienting our lives around is going to give us something. We think it's going to give us peace, fulfillment, purpose, happiness, freedom. But the problem with worries, wealth, and wants, when they're taken as idols, is that they will demand that we give more and more of ourselves to them and they will never give us what they seem to promise. They will never give us what they seem to promise. Like if we orient our lives around worry, if we start feeding into worry, what do you do? You have, to, you have to keep going down that rabbit trail. You gotta look up more, more WebMD. You gotta like, you're gonna have five diagnoses that might be possibly true for you. You can't let your kids do anything because let's face it, at some point, this world is just scary and there's nothing safe for them to do. And so we have to keep feeding worry and feeding worry. And when we do so, feeding worry does not breed peace. It, it multiplies worry. It multiplies fear. And desires can be the same way. Even good gifts from God can be twisted when they start to or, we orient our lives around them, we can't go without them, or we have to keep having more and more of that thing to feel good because, because we're starting to realize that the promise is false. That good thing doesn't last. And the same is true with wealth, and we're going to kind of focus a little bit on that one today. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Never satisfied I think that's an important word. I I actually, once again, I I don't think that having that money in and of itself is bad. I went to a um, Habitat for Humanity ceremony last week, and I got to hear about this woman and her family that that were finally able to have secure housing, maybe for the first time in a while in their lives. And somebody at that uh, ceremony was sharing about how a lot of people with unstable housing, um, they have a hard time planning for the future because they are so stuck in survival mode that they can't even like, have a vision or a dream or a hope for the future because everything is just, how do we make it today? How do we make it today? And I, I believe God wants us to have what we need for today. I think he wants us to have the, the clothing and the food and the shelter that we need, and he wants us to be able to have a plan and a future and a vision. But the deceitfulness of wealth comes in because if you're like me, often when we have enough, and then we start to get a little more than enough, our definition of enough just kind of expands, right? So that thing that 10 years ago would have made me happy, it's like, oh, well, now I have a little more, and so now, now this is my new definition of what enough is. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that reinforces this need, right? This is the kingdom of the world that we, that we experience. And it's our culture, it's our economy that operates on the idea of not enough, it's why I can walk into a TJ Maxx without even knowing why I'm there. And I can walk out with like $75 worth of gnomes. Like, who needs that many gnomes? And journals... I know. See, no, stop! <laughs> um, my husband is sitting here, so he's like, <laughs> no more gnomes. And the sad thing at TJ Maxx, you, you recognize you could have had your shopping list and then you get to the checkout, and the, the checkout aisle is like where you end up buying the most things. It is! It's all more ways to tell you this is what you don't have. This is what you didn't know that you needed to, that you need. I took some communications courses last year, and I was appalled. But maybe you would not be to find how many times a day we as Americans are inundated with ads. Um, I found there's a Zipia study, and I don't know if this is exaggerated. But um, any guesses as to how many ads you think we're exposed to daily? How many thousand? They, someone said, yeah, 4,000 to 10,000, and that might be conservative, right? 4,000 to 10,000 ads daily. We are being told that there's a deficiency in our lives, that we lack something, that we need something to be filled. And so what happens is we begin to orient our lives around these things without realizing it, around wealth, around consumerism, and it begins to affect different parts of our lives, right? First of all, our, our job, now I recognize some of us don't have much control over our job we, we need multiple jobs maybe some of us just to, just to get by so I'm not vilifying that but for others of us we might find that subtly we start to make decisions for our for our careers that are better for our bank accounts but maybe not for our souls maybe not for the balance and sanity in our lives And then it's not even just about earning money right how much money if i if i'm honest how much money or how much time this week did i spend on spending money like because we want to save and we want to find the coupons and I want to look and I get emails every day that are offering me sales sales that I'm like I didn't need that thing but now that there's a sale maybe maybe I do and even if I don't buy it I, sp- I just might spend 30 minutes 45 minutes browsing a site and then afterwards I'm like what was I doing And so what I'm saying is, is without realizing it, in my heart, I'm subtly giving my attention and my time even, even if it's not my money. I'm starting to give it towards this concept of wealth and what it's gonna do for me. I'm starting to subtly buy into this idea that the things that I own are gonna make me happy, are gonna fill me. And again, sometimes our money obsession actually shows up in trying not to spend money or trying to save money. And we are meant to be good stewards of our money, of the things that God has given us, but maybe, again, that, that worry sort of merges with the idea of wealth and we start to be afraid of losing money, afraid to give money, afraid of generosity because it doesn't fit into our, our security plan, right? Maybe we fear being generous. Maybe we begin to notice that we're orienting our lives around money. And this is where I think we begin to notice how our, our orienting our lives to worry and wealth and wants can begin to harm others, too. Because is our bottom line people or savings? Or what we want? Or do we have to hoard things that maybe other people need because we're worried about losing out? My dad talks about a journey, um, uh, he's, he's shared this pretty openly, but he used to be that person that would like, go to a tag sale and like haggle down like 50 cents, you know, haggle down to a dollar less. Um, and he, t- don't get me wrong, the man sells eBay stuff for a living, so he, he still likes a good deal. But he has talked about how God has changed his heart, and he started to recognize, I'm at a tag sale. Maybe these people need the money more than I do. Man, Maybe, maybe they are trying to, to move and downsize because they don't have enough money to make a mortgage. And here I am haggling over 50 cents, you know? And so God began to slowly show him that, this is, this is true, honestly, for, for a lot of people who are in, in poverty, that they're some of the easiest ones to exploit, some of the easy, one, easy ones to take advantage of. Because if you're desperate, if you're desperate for money, then you're like, okay, fine, I'll make that deal, I'll sell you whatever, just so I can get a little bit. My dad was telling me, actually, he's in, a, he's in an area in um, a neighborhood that at one time um, was more, more of an area of poverty, and just because of his zip code, he would get credit card offers with an astronomical interest rate, because people know, these people don't have money, they don't have options, and so they're going to sign up for this ridiculous interest rate because they they have no choices. And so it began to. Sh- my dad began to realize how often his decision, his desire to save money might be costing somebody else who actually has less than him. And I say that because that was his own journey and I'm starting to recognize that problem in my own life of sometimes being more focused on my savings than on the people that might be affected around me. And one thing that happened for my dad, and this might be something that works for you, my dad actually decided, God started showing him, hey, put a little extra cash in your, in your wallet whenever you go out. And now when my dad sees people, my dad is now starts to tip people that, that one would never think to tip. Like he's just trying to tip gas station people and like all these random whatever. But my dad's face lights up when he gives money now. And, I, and I, he would tell you that God has worked in his heart in that way. And sometimes we find that we have to start to let go of that thing that money or that worry or that, that desire, sometimes when we let it go, we find it stops having a hold on us and we can begin to see the kingdom around us again. We can begin to see God's kingdom and we can begin to see that the money that God has entrusted with us is actually meant to be an investment, not just in this life, but in the next kingdom to come. And so we have to look sometimes at whether those things are beginning to control us when our lives are oriented around them. Even free things. I, if I used to be that person who'd pick up free things on the side of the road all the time. Maybe you were too. But then I would look, and my house is full of things that I'm like, I don't. It doesn't. Nothing actually works. I don't know why I have this. I don't know why I thought this was important. And so, free things might not even cost us money, but they can still cost our souls. And then, and then, what do we do with all the stuff that we accumulate? Well, now we have to manage it, right? We have to like, uh, sort it and organize it. And um, if you're like me and you hypothetically maybe bought a, a cheap Wayfair couch on, you know, on sale and now it immediately fell apart and you have to hide it in your basement so that people don't, like, we got this couch. It's got like Velcro cushions. You just sit and it pops off. And I'm like, what is this? No one wants to sit on that. But we bought it, right? We bought it and now we have to have it. And, and if we can't keep it, we have to throw it away. And I have all these toys on my floor that I keep throwing away from, that I bought for my children. And I'm like, why? Why do I do it? Why do I? I told my husband this week, I'm like, we need to just see the things that we're throwing away and stop buying those things. But the problem is, <clears throat> I would say even our landfills, our landfills might be one of the biggest signs of the deceitfulness of wealth. Because they are full of all the things that were supposed to make us happy yesterday that did not. And this is why Jesus tells us this. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's the thing, despite what ads tell us, our purpose here is not to be consumers, but to be seeds that rest in God's good soil, to produce and grow a harvest. Our purpose is not to follow the God of possessions or money, but the God, our creator, who gives us true hope and purpose and joy. Wealth, worry, and wants, become when they become idols, they take up an incredible amount of space in our lives, space in our hearts, because we think they're going to give us that peace, that satisfaction, that purpose, but in reality, they're crowding out the only thing that can give us peace and happiness. Whenever we're trying to replace the fullness of God with anything else, we will never be satisfied. Whenever we're trying to replace the fullness of who God is with anything else, we will never be satisfied. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 tells us this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm going to be honest contentment is one core characteristic of a seed planted in good soil. That seed is a content seed. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, if we have enough, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And again, this verse is a reminder that, that it's when we follow wealth, we think it's promising us something really awesome, but it often leads to grief. So here's Paul's command. He says in verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, there's that verse, right? God does richly provide us with things for our enjoyment. So those desires aren't wrong or bad, right? But we have to place them in God's hands. And Paul says, command people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. God wants to offer us in this kingdom a life that is far better than anything this world is trying to sell us. But we have to give up. We have to give up what we think we need to be happy and find that what God offers us is truly the best. And I will be honest, for my own life, I was telling my dad this week, I was like, I have, I've had plenty of purchase regret, purchase remorse. I have never had a time where I gave something, almost never had a time where I gave something away and regretted it. Truly. I might have had a hard time giving it away in the moment, but when I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so glad I got rid of that. I'm so glad I gave that away. And it it reminds me that if I want God to be able to cultivate a harvest in my life, I have to be willing to let him get rid of the things that are cluttering my life, that are keeping me from seeing his kingdom, that are keeping me from seeing the life that is truly life. Because God has given us a kingdom, and that kingdom can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so this is what Jesus says to us in Luke 12, 32-34. I don't think I have a slide for this. It says, don't be afraid, little flock. Don't be afraid. For your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And this is back to the, invita- or the parable of the seeds. This is an invitation. God is saying, you can invest in the kingdom of this world. And when you die, that, that kingdom is going to fade with you. Or you can invest what you have now in this kingdom that is going to live forever, going to exist forever. And you can find that God's actually going to use the things you have in this life to multiply an eternal kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing. We invest in the kingdom by, by giving away our life, our time, our love, so that God's will is done, so his kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. And here's another verse that gets a little deeper, and I, um, I think maybe it gets to a little deeper root of why we chase things like wealth, worries, and wants anyway. Hebrews 13.15 says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now you might listen to that verse and think, How? Okay, what? let's back up for a second. How, why does it matter that God will never leave me or forsake me? How does that have anything to do with me being content? Hmm. But if we really think about what this verse is saying, I think that often for many of us, that, that we begin trusting in worries, wealth, and wants. We begin believing that those things, um, it, it's not just about what those things represent, it's that those things seem to be filling something in us that we desperately need and maybe there's a part of us that we start shopping when we feel lonely, that we start feeling like we need to, to hoard money when, we're, when we are concerned that we don't have enough, that we're insecure. We're looking for security. We're looking for freedom. Maybe at the end of the day, what we're really looking for is something that will love us back, something that's not going to leave us. And I think what Paul is saying here is that when we truly believe that God's never going to leave us, that he's never going to forsake us, that he's always going to be with us, that he can always give us what we need, then, then we trust in him and then we can be content and then we can keep our life free from money, from the love of those other things because we recognize that in God we already have all those things, that God has already given us everything our heart could need he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. We can trust him. We can trust that if we want more than enough, God is the good shepherd and he's, in him we lack nothing. He's not going anywhere. But for today, I just want to invite you um, to take some inventory of your heart. To let God, rather, maybe help you take some inventory of your heart. And part of the reason that I actually um, felt strongly that I needed to share this message this week is because God's been working a little bit in my own heart this week on this area. And I I've screwed up and I forgot to put the pictures in the slides here. But I'm going to paint a picture for you of my house. And my, my kids this week decided, um, we, we did a lot of rearranging. I've got one kid that, two of my, my boys decided to move into one bedroom together so they could turn the other bedroom into a game room. Very cool. It's awesome. They're, they're, like, having the time of their life there. And then my, my other kid decided to move into our basement apartment, basically, and I was like, I don't know why this took them so long, you know? Like, I thought for sure when we moved into that house, that was the first bedroom that was going to get snatched up. Um, although I never see that child anymore, I think I'm going to have to start writing letters. Um, <laughs> but when we cleared out the house to move things, to rearrange the rooms, guys, we've been in this house about two years, two and a half, and I thought we got rid of a lot of junk when we moved into this house, apparently we've just continued to accumulate. And so I kept filling up things to put in my van to give away all this junk that we never use, that we never see. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And we have this room now that my, that my kid moved out of that now is like a bonus room. And there was so much stuff in that room that I just could not even imagine. It was like you almost couldn't even envision what the, the possibilities of that room could be. And maybe our hearts feel a little bit like that today. Maybe for some of us. Now, this is not a guilt thing. I know some of you, as soon as I started talking, were like, oh my goodness, I'm already, I, man, I'm screwing up this. I'm, I'm too concerned with money. I'm too this. I'm, this is not about a guilt. This is not about feeling bad. Um, if God is gonna point something out in your heart that needs rearranging, he's gonna do it gently, and he's gonna do it lovingly. And what I want you to see is that when God's asking you to let go of, of junk in your heart, just like when I let go of junk in those rooms, as those things began clearing out of the space in my room, I began to have a vision for what that room could be. And I started picturing, oh, over here, I can put two chairs and I can sit and have coffee with a friend. And over here, I, can, I could like sit quietly with the door closed and I could actually pray to God without my toddler throwing things at my head. And so I could start seeing that this space could be a beautiful thing. And as, it, as I emptied that room, I saw it for what it could be, a relational, peaceful, beautiful space And I want you to know that when God asks to take things out of your heart, it is not not to shame you, it is not to hurt you, it is for freedom. He wants to set you free from those things that have become junk and clutter in your souls. But we've got to take some inventory, right? And so maybe if we're honest, we would say, man, if if I were to look at my bank statement right now, there's some things I know I'm investing in and that's intentional. Me, coffee, good coffee, I will invest in that. But there's other things on my, on my bank statement that would shock me. I would say, ooh, I didn't know how much that had become something that I was orienting my life around and, I, and God wants to change something there. Or maybe it's not that, maybe it's your closet. You look at your closet and you're like, does this tell the picture of peace or does it tell a picture maybe of, of hoarding? Maybe have I become that person who's like, I can't get rid of this weirdly shaped basket because I might need it in two years, I don't know. And those things that seem silly but are they beginning to be part of the things that clutter our soul? Is our consumerism, consumerism pointing not just to a cluttered house, but maybe a cluttered heart? And so I would ask that we pray this week, maybe just sit with God and say, okay, God, is anything in my life, kind of become that idol? Become that thing that is keeping me from seeing you, from seeing your kingdom. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be like Oprah today and give you my my book recommendation list. Um, our very own Sherry Bertolini, who does worship up here, and she's our, our prayer team director. She wrote a book called My Intentional Life: Connecting Your Heart to Your Life and Home, and she really talks about um, really like decluttering, but also like organizing our homes in such a way. Um, she adds spiritual connections to it so we can begin to see the connection between our clutter and our homes and i love what she says here in um in one of her chapters she says when our routine remains unchallenged we find no reason to change we grow so accustomed to the presence of our stuff and our way of doing things we don't see it anymore it becomes normal and so today again the invitation is just are there things in your heart that have just become so normal that you don't even know they're there and god says hey hey, what if we pull that out? What if, we, what if we take this out? What if we rearrange this? And if we're brave enough to be honest about our mess, I believe God wants to do something powerful in our lives. I believe he wants to open our eyes to not just this kingdom, but to his eternal kingdom. And I think as we declutter our hearts, he's gonna begin to put us more in the path of people where we can share, where we can live our lives oriented towards God and towards loving others well putting people over, over profits, putting, putting people over maybe our own wants and desires. And I want to end with a quote, um, actually, by another book, another author, Marlena Graves, who I've quoted as well. I would, I would highly recommend her book as well, The Way Up is Down, uh, Becoming Yourself by Forgetting Yourself. And she, again, talks about really this radically upside-down kingdom that God invites us into. And if you want to see that kingdom, you have to kind of tune out this world that we live in sometimes. But she says this, She says that really this is an idea of repentance, this this housekeeping. She says repentance we can view as, quote, making room for God. When we repent, we give him a comfortable and comforting place in which to dwell. We prepare a place for him. And she says our preparing a place for him happens to be a reflection of him preparing a place for us. Because he has prepared a place for us. She says that's from John 14, 2 and 3. But here's what she says. When we repent, we are being hospitable to God. Is God comfortable in our lives or is he claustrophobic because of the small space he's in? Is God comfortable in our lives or is he claustrophobic because of the small space he's in? Listen, you can love God, you can believe in God, and he can be sitting there in your heart, but we can still get caught up in the world in such a way that we begin to crowd God out And we're going to be talking a little bit more next week about repentance. And as horrible as that word sounds, it's actually actually a good thing. and It's actually something that God calls us to and it's a prerequisite really for the redemption God wants to do in us. So for right now, I just want to say this though. Are you ready to make some room for God in your life? Are you ready to experience more of the fullness he has for you, his presence? And even if you say, man, I really feel like I've, I've struggled and I, maybe I have not always been that seed that's on good soil, your story is not over. And God has a beautiful and fertile soil that he has that he wants to plant you in if you will just say yes. And God wants to use you, yes you, everyone in this room, to be part of the harvest that he is, is growing and producing for his kingdom. So are you ready to say yes? God, I thank you that you are a God of second chances, that you are a God of mercy, that you are not a God that wants to judge us and condemn us but give us full life that we could not even possibly imagine. And Lord, I pray that for my own heart and for everyone else here, that we would recognize the freedom that comes from letting go. And I pray that you begin to shine a light in our hearts, not for, not for judgment, not for shame, but that everyone here today would walk out and say, okay, God, I wanna surrender this thing to you that's become a clutter in my life. And as we do, God, I pray you'd open us eye, or open our eyes up to the kingdom that is around us, this beautiful kingdom that you've invited us into, and you're preparing a place for us in, and that we would be lights that go out, and share your love with others, Amen.